Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Father, we thank you today for the Word of God. I thank you for the things that you put into my spirit this week. Help me, Lord, to communicate the precise mind of Christ today, Lord, to, to us that are here today, Lord. I pray that your spirit would move up and down these seats and these aisles and touch us where we need touch, minister to us where we need minister to. And we give you the praise and the honor as we look to you to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we began a series three weeks ago. This is the third part called Living by Faith. Living by Faith. And our main text that we're using here is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I actually haven't taught a series on this in several years. I mean, we mentioned faith, but I actually haven't done a series on this. And I just wanted to start out with verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God or Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Amen. Now, God is a rewarder, isn't He? Amen. You know, I remember, it's probably been close to 20 years right now. I was watching a show, I was watching a, um, I think it was the Discovery Channel, one of those channels, you know, there's about a thousand and one channels that are on there, you know. And, uh, and it, it caught my interest because they were, when, when I turned it on, I, I, I saw that those, uh, uh, those killer whales, and they were training those killer whales, how they do it like SeaWorld and stuff like that. Anybody ever been to one of those places before? And, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my parents took me over to the one in Ohio when it first opened up, when it was back in, North, in, in the central part of Ohio, okay? Anybody ever been there before? And, um, and I always had this question, how do they do that? <laughs> you know, how do they get those, those mammals and porpoises and dolphins and whales to do those kinds of tricks? You know, they don't just wake up one day and they can do that kind of stuff, all right? So I saw this uh, documentary, and it was about how they train these uh, like these killer whales, these big, massive killer whales, you know. And I thought it was kind of fascinating. I thought, I'd like to know how they train them as well. How do they get them to do what they do? How do they get them to jump out of the water, spin around, come down, and then splash a thousand people? How do they do that? Well, what they did is they showed, now they didn't show everything that there is, but they showed primarily they work on a reward basis, okay? For example, um, they have this, and this massive tank of salt water, you know, they've got those, those whales that are underneath there. And, uh, and so they have this wire that comes across. It's underwater. And they get this, somehow they get the whale to swim over that wire. And there's a scuba diver under the water, all right? And he has a pail of fish, all right? And every time that that whale swims over the wire, he gives him a fish. He rewards him, all right? Now the, the whales, they like that. Okay, that's like candy to us, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so they keep, make, make a long story short, they keep raising the wire up. They keep raising the wire up. And they, they, every time that the whale swims over, the, it gets another fish. All of a sudden, it gets locked in his brain that if I swim over that wire, I will be rewarded. Eventually, fast forward, they move the wire up out of the water just a little bit. And those whales can jump, of course, you know. And before you know it, that whale is jumping over the wire. And before you know it, they raise that wire up really high. And that thing will, I don't know how high they jump, but it's, it's pretty hard, pretty high. And so 
And the same thing is true with the, the, the dolphins and things that they do and so forth. And that it's, if you notice, if you've ever been to this place, they've got a little thing and they're always giving them fish. Okay, they kind of do it indiscreetly. And they're just feeding them fish. Why do they do it? Because they know that if they give them that reward, they're going to do what they're asking them to do. Okay? And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, if, if animals are motivated by reward, then people can be motivated by reward too. Now, Hebrews eleven six that God, it, without faith it's impossible to please Him, for they that come to God first must believe that He is, and, number two, that He's a what? A rewarder. You know, God likes to reward us for what we do. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, we'll not turn to there, but because of time, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and, you know, they kind of pretty much screwed everything up. He said, Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites that love to be seen of men. He says, they have their reward because they'll say these long fancy prayers to be heard of men to impress people. He says, Jesus said this, he says, but you, when you pray, he goes, enter into your closet. Now that'd be your private place. And he goes, pray to your father, which is in secret. And your father, which seeth you in secret or private will what? Reward you openly. Hmm. So there's a reward for praying. And the reward is not just in heaven, it's on the earth. And then he, he covered a couple of other topics too. He talked about giving. He says, when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Because uh, uh, basically people would give to impress other people. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes that goes on in the world today, in the church world. You know, people want to announce I gave so much you know that kind of a thing but I think you get a greater reward if you don't announce it <laughs> you know what I'm saying it just depends on the motive right it comes down to motive so, so Jesus said if, if you know if if you give with the right motive you'll be rewarded right and then he said thirdly he talked about fasting he said when you fast before the Lord you miss a meal or two he says don't disfigure your face and look all sad like the Pharisees and the scribes and so forth he goes they put a long face on you know what that looks like, right? A long face. Like some of y'all right now in church. I'm just, just kidding. And uh, he said, he goes, don't even appear to men to fast. He said, man, he goes, do it unto the Lord. He says, by doing so, you're going to receive a great reward, right? Well, God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, right? And our subject is living by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago when we were over in that other section there. That this, here's a little road out here that comes right into this hotel called Park Manor Drive. Okay? Now, to get to this building that you're sitting in right now, you had to come via Park Manor Drive. No one else came out any other way to get to this location where you're at right now. You may never even known the name of this, that road, but to get here, that's the only avenue whereby you could get here and to come into this building. Likewise, faith in God or trust in God is the only avenue that we can please God. Now, sometimes we make things difficult and complicated like faith, you know, and so forth. But actually, just another word for that or synonym would be trust. Trust. Amen? Now, you can't please God without faith. You can't please one another without faith, too. Okay? Because... God and His Word are one, and we talked about that last week. Now we see that in uh, 
in Hebrews, real quickly, Hebrews chapter 10, if you go over there, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. I know that this is not a Mother's Day sermon today, but God didn't give me a Mother's Day sermon, but it will bless all the mothers, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Now, I would say, based on the first scripture we read, that faith is a pretty important subject because you cannot please God without it. It says when you come to God, you have to first believe that He is and that He's a rewarder. See, when I pray, I can't just think I'm praying to the wall or praying to some open area and there's nothing there. I have to believe that God is. Amen? Now, this morning, when we worshiped here, everybody here, I believe you entered into another realm of worship. But you know what? You had to do that by faith. And when you stepped over and you stepped into it by faith, then the presence of God started to usher in this place. Hallelujah. But you always start out by faith because you don't, you don't see God. You don't see Jesus yet. But by faith, you know He's there. And that's what motivates you to do that, right? Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith. That's us. And if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. All right. Now we see this same scripture mentioned in Romans chapter 1, Galatians chapter 3, and then Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to just leave it at that. wanted to read the Hebrews 10.38 that the just shall live by faith. Now those phrases are used in those other three verses, right? The just shall live by faith. And that's what we're talking about, living by faith. Living by faith is the most can be the most challenging life, but it is also the most rewarding life that there is. Remember Jesus said uh, to, uh, we call him Doubting Thomas. He didn't stay like that, right? <laughs> they all changed. Peter went from bad to better, right? They all did. Paul went from Saul to Paul. Hallelujah. And, uh, but the Word of God will change us, and it changed them. Now, last week we talked about the key ingredient or to having a foundation for genuine faith, the key ingredient. And here's what we talked about last week, and I'll kind of lead into what we're going to talk about again today. Understanding the integrity of the Word of God is the foundation for genuine faith. Understanding the integrity of the Word of God. Real quickly, go to Numbers chapter 23. In Numbers chapter 23. And verse 19. So, I, I, I asked this question many years ago when I was a young believer. How, do, how can I have stronger faith? I want to have, because the Bible talks about weak faith, little faith, great faith. So there's, you know, faith is not always the same. It can be little or it can be great, but I mean, it really comes down to us. It's not up to God. It's God's will that we all be strong in faith, right? All of us. Amen. And we can be strong in faith on purpose. It's, there's things that we can do to stimulate our faith, to be strong in faith. And then in Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not make it, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken it, shall he not make it good? How many of you love that scripture? Oh, God is not a man that he should lie. Say, God cannot lie. 
Now that's, that is the foundation for faith. God cannot lie. In other words, His Word is the truth. It doesn't have truth. It is truth. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. The words are true. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So everything that God says is 100% true. If there was one lie in God's word, we would have to throw the whole Bible away and say, forget it, it doesn't work. But everything that God says in his word is the absolute truth. Now this is the foundation for, for me and for you to have strong faith, to tell ourselves, wait a minute. Now see, we're used to people in the natural. And we've all been there and done that and come across people that they put the word out there and then they don't do what they said. Aren't we in a world like that where people say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to promise you. I had people promise me things 35 years ago and it still hasn't come to pass. <laughs> Brother, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. You know what I'm saying? I'm still waiting 35 years later. Amen. But see, I, that's, that's people. But God doesn't make a promise and then dangle the carrot before you and then back off and say, well, I was just kind of teasing you now. Are you all right with that? No, we're not all right with that. Because God is not a man that he should lie. So when I read the word, I look, I say, I am reading the truth right now. And that is the word of God. Amen. Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. He talked about the Father. He said, thy word is truth. And he said, you'll know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Hallelujah. Circumst uh, you know, you have circumstances, but then you have truth. Amen. Now, also in Hebrews chapter 6, uh, let's go over there real quick here. In Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 17. Everybody in this room has a mindset. We believe certain things. Now, I've, I've taught the Word of God for, for many, many, many years, you know, and I've talked to a lot of different people, different congregations through the years. And, and, and sometimes you can just tell by the look on someone's face. They don't, they don't, believe, they don't believe a word you're saying. <laughs> not in here. I'm not saying in here. Okay. But you could just tell by the look on their faces like. You know. Body language. All right. And you can tell whether someone's getting it or if they believe it or not. And then on the other hand, if somebody is getting it, they're like. They're on the edge of their, their seat. Now, I grew up under Brother Kenneth E. Hagin, okay? I mean, I, I went to his Bible school. Thank, the Lord sent me there. It wasn't my choosing. God sent me there. And I'll tell you, we had oh, over 1,000 students in my, the year that I, at least 1,000 or 1,200 students in the first year, and then the second year there. But I thought, to me, this is as good as it gets. Brother Kenneth Hagin comes in and teaches a class called Faith Library. He comes walking, and he's just a few feet from me, okay? And um, Now, we don't worship a man, but we love God, and we love the anointings of God and so forth. But I, I, I had 
And I thank God because I had a pastor that taught me, initially, that taught me the respect for the man of God that he was. Okay? And so I had such an anticipation that when I went there, this is not business as usual here. This is not your Tom, Dick, and Harry down the street here. We're talking a prophet of God, a leading prophet of God in the land at that time, right? And, and, and a teacher, you know, of the Word of God, a prophet, all right? Well, I found out real quickly that not everybody that I was with in my class that was some, you know, they were all ages, of course, you know. There wasn't just people right out of high school. <laughs> I was, but, you know. I just I realized real fast that there were certain people that did not have the respect level for him that maybe I had. Okay? Just my perception, all right? For example, there would be people that would be sitting there during his class, they'd be falling asleep reading Hot Rod magazines. This is before internet and all this kind of stuff, you know? And I'm thinking, they hit a Hot Rod magazine inside their notebook, you know, and they're looking at, like, sports cars. I'm, I'm a, and, and here... What if Jesus was up there teaching us right now? How would you do that same thing, you know? But I found out real quickly, and I look fast forward many years beyond that, and I look back and said, there's no trace of them even in ministry. I wonder why. Because the level of respect wasn't there. And so the more that you respect anointings like that, the people that God sends you, the more you're able to draw from them. You, you understand that? And that's a principle that works in every situation. All right? Now, in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto you the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, verse 18, that by two mutable things which is impossible for God to lie, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge and lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Which hope we have, notice this phrase, as an anchor to our soul, both sure and steadfast. Now, I want you to notice right there that, that the Word of God is like an anchor. He said it's impossible for God to lie. He said you can have a strong faith, a strong consolation when you realize it's impossible for God to lie. And he said it's like an anchor. Okay? And I used the illustration last week. You know, anchors basically in a boat are to keep a boat stable in troubled waters. Okay, so the boat doesn't keep moving into the shoreline. Remember the example I used last week? You know, and depending on the size of the boat or the ship will also depend on the size of the anchor. Okay, and the anchor will keep that boat stable in troubled waters. Likewise, knowing that God cannot lie will keep your mind stable like an anchor when the waves of adversity beat against your thinking. How many of you know when you're attacked by the enemy, it's always in the form of a thought? Isn't it? When you're, when you're attacked by the enemy or discouraged, how does that come? It comes through the mind. It comes through your thought realm. Nobody wakes up discouraged without bad thoughts entering into their mind. Nobody wakes up depressed by, for no reason at all. Depression is a, a direct correlation to what thoughts are prevalent in our thinking and in our mind. That's why we have to guard our minds. Hallelujah. We have to guard our minds. And, we have, and it's our responsibility to put on the armor of God and to guard our minds and to cast down imaginations and the things that are not true 
And all of us here know what that's like. We know what it's like to have a thought, an ungodly thought, a bad thought, an evil thought. And we used the illustration last week in, in Genesis chapter 3, how that, and this is how the enemy, this is his tactics, this is his mode of operation, this is how he functions all the time. He comes along and he comes in the form of a serpent's body through to Adam and Eve and said, do you really think God meant that you'll, if you eat this tree that you'll... Remember that? He said, half God said, you shall not eat of the tree. He says, God knows that you'll become just like him. If you partake of this tree, you'll become just... God really doesn't mean what he said, right? That's what he said. And so the Bible says in 1 Timothy that the woman was deceived in the transgression, not the man. Adam knew exactly what was going on. There was no gray area. Right? But the woman being deceived into transgression. You say, well, why, did, why didn't Adam do something about that? You know what I believe? I believe he loved her so much that he was willing to, to go the... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's just, just my thought on that, you know? But I believe he loved her so much. I mean, do you think Eve was ugly? You got to be kidding me. Man, I'm telling you what, when she was created, he said, Whoa, man. <laughs> All right, that's just my paraphrase. Woman, whoa, man. All right. And uh, he lo- Adam loved Eve, you know, but, you know, he went too far there and he partook of it, you know, and then they became spiritually dead, right? But, you know, if you go back upstream where that all started right there, it, it came down to one thing. The devil lied to them and said, God doesn't mean what he said. In other words, he doesn't really mean, he's trying to keep you from something good. The truth of the matter is, they were already made in God's likeness and God's image. He said, the, de- the devil through the serpent said, if you eat, you'll become just like God. But he's trying to hide that from you. Isn't that how the devil operates? Yeah. Oh, if you don't party, if you don't do this, you're really missing out. Dear God, yeah, you're missing out on sin, destruction, and everything else. Okay? Because the devil tries to make things look so glamorous. The Bible says that sin has pleasure for a season. But afterwards, death comes as a result of it. All right? Hey, if there was no pleasure to sin, nobody would sin. How many of you know that? I mean, you put a, you've tried to trap a rat or a mouse or something like that. You know, you don't put just pure poison, just poison on the trap. You put a piece of good cheese or peanut butter or something else, you know, and, and then there's poison in it and then they come and grab it and before you know it, they're, they're checking out. Isn't that true? And so that's what the enemy comes along and he tries to slither in our thought life and say, God doesn't really mean what he says, you know, and, and uh, but we have to just be, we have to be so rooted and grounded in the fact that God's word works. I know my own, I know my own life better than anybody else, but any time that I've, uh, started to get a little upset or angry or, you know, depressed about something, it always, the Lord will tell me, Keith, what have you been thinking about? What are you doubting right now? And I have to say, sometimes I have to repent and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Because sometimes we get angry at other people because we're dealing with fear in here. That's the reason sometimes we get angry. We take it out on somebody else. And we go, rawr, we, you know, we fire up on somebody else. When the fact is, there's things, there's internal stuff going on on the inside of here, actually. 
We're struggling. We're not really believing. And the Bible says, in Romans, I think, 15 says that we believe, we have joy. If you really believe, you have joy. If you believe the Word of God, you can have joy because you know the outcome. Amen. Now, here's where I want to end up here today. Um, You know, Israel is a great example. Israel is a great example of God's love, God's mercy, and God showing His power, demonstrating that to the people of Israel. Now, we know that, that Israel was in slavery and bondage for 430 years. Say, that's a long time. Okay. We're talking generations, right, of bondage and hard, bitter bondage, you know, and so forth. And we know that at the end of that 430 years that God brought them out with an outstretched arm, and there were ten judgments that God sent on Egypt for their evil doing. And sometimes the judgment of God releases the power of God for for God's people to be set free. And so you know the the story that Moses came out, you know, was raised in Pharaoh's house. Remember that? And uh, then he discovered who he was and so forth. Sounds like the Ten Commandments, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's a little ad lib to some of that, you know what I mean. Probably a lot, actually. But we know that Moses was chosen by God to bring out the Israelites, you know. And, I mean, they've been slaves for all those years, for hundreds, you know, 400 years. Long time. The day finally came. And Joseph even prophesied the time's going to come. He goes, you're going you're to be in bondage, but you're going to be led forth out of here. And he says, make sure you take my bones with you. <laughs> because I'm telling you, it's going to come to pass. And so before Moses and the Egyptians, uh, left the Egypt and the, the Israelites, where there's two million plus uh, Israelites, they got Joseph's bones. Okay? Because Joseph said, I don't even want my bones to stay here. We're getting out of here. Right? And so they brought them out and so forth. But we see there are ten, ten judgments that were judged on the house of Egypt. And all those judgments are on things that the Egyptians worshipped. Right? They worshipped animals and so forth. They worshipped the sun and different things, you know. And, and God was bringing judgments on all those things. They were, quote, gods to them. Okay? And then finally, God brought them forth and the firstborn of all cattle and all, all human beings uh, in Egypt were, <clears throat> were destroyed of the destroyer except for the house of Israel. When God said, put the blood on the doorpost, eat the lamb, which is a type of Christ. He says, I'm going to bring you out. On the, this is the Lord's Passover. This is your first and initial Passover. He says, I'm going to bring you out with an outstretched arm. Fast forward, okay, we don't want to take a lot of time with that. But you remember God brought them through the wilderness. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings. Praise God. And, and, and he brought them, but he brought them down a different way. And he brought them by way of, of, of the, the, the Sinai Peninsula instead of the other way around. And he brought them through a wadi that led down through this. I mean, this is the most remote area to this day. It's still like that. It's remote. It's barren dry. It's a desert. Okay? And but the people are happy. They're, they're being led forth. And the scripture even tells us that God brought them forth 
with silver and with gold out of Egypt, and there was not one feeble or sick person among their tribes. Two million Jewish people, Israelites, over two million. And not one sick, not one broke was among them. That's supernatural. Where do you think they got all the, all the gold to make a golden calf in the wilderness? <laughs> they had it on them. They stripped, they plundered the Egyptians. All that back pay for 430 years, you know. And they were saying, just take it. Just get out of here. Just go, you know. And they just gave them as much as they wanted, it says, you know. And they came down. And you remember what happened is they stood at the edge. God led them by way of the Red Sea. And this is in the, uh, the Gulf of Aqaba to this day. It's the exact spot. All right, and uh, it's just this big beach that's five miles long, five miles wide. This beach still there, beach of Nueva. All right, and uh, so they get down there and they're like, "Where are we going to go from here?" You know, you got the Red Sea in front of us, you got the mountains in the wilderness behind us, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh and his armies that rose up against said, and they they chose six hundred plus, you know chosen chariots with golden wheels and all that kind of stuff and and they took off after them and all of a sudden the Israelites came down I mean the, the Egyptians came down and they saw them and they started to panic and they started to fear and they said Moses if you brought us to the edge of this wilderness to die in the wilderness in this with this whole thing would it be better if we went back to Egypt and serve them you know what I'm saying and Moses said this. The Lord told him to say this. He says, fear not, stand still, and you shall see the salvation of the Lord today. Remember that? He said, the Egyptians which you see today, he goes, that will be the last day that you see them. But he said, fear not, stand still, and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. And God, of course, Moses had a rod in his hand, and he stretched forth his rod and parted the waters. Glory be to God. And the Israelites went across on dry ground. Amen. Now, like I said before, uh, you know, Ron Wyatt and his organization discovered the exact crossing space, crossing spot, right, on, uh, on New Abus Beach. And if you part the waters, if that, that's the only place at the Red Sea. And if you part the waters, there's an underwater bridge that goes flat straight across. So if you part the waters, it's already there. It's the only spot on the Red Sea where that could happen because everything else, if you even remove the water, it's cliffs, you know, 2,000 feet down. So even if God removed the waters, how are they going to get straight across? This is the only place where they could cross over right here if the waters were departed and it, it's exactly the way it is. Now what they found out is they found, we're going to see something here on the screen in just a second here. What they found out is they, uh, they sent scuba divers down there his team sent scuba divers down. They've been studying this for like almost 20 years now. And they found on the bottom of the Red Sea down there, chariot parts, horse skeletons. And in the chariot, some of the chariot, the chosen chariots had golden wheels. And uh, in, in the other chariot wheels, the coral wrapped itself around there and took on the shape. You know, coral doesn't just grow on anything. It has to attach itself to something, right? And so you have... You have 90 degree angles. You have uh, uh, chariot wheels, and you'll see them. Five spoke, six spoke. And, they're, they, they, and it's strewn across that whole area, all the way going across, okay? Because when the Egyptians came across, the waters came back down on them. Remember that? And, and that's it, their history. 
And so you have thousands of, of things. And you've got horse skeletons down there, right? And, it, and some of this stuff, it's so amazing because, you know, gold doesn't perish. It lasts forever, right? And so you have the, the go back to the that whatever dynasty, sixth dynasty, I think it was, you know, the, the six-spoke chariot wheels that are still in the bottom of that sea, that are still there, okay? Now, we know it's true because the Bible said it's true. But there are people that won't believe that. Unless they can see it, feel it, touch it. You know what I'm saying? But I, I love it because it just proves the Bible's true all along. All right? Now, when they got through, here's what the point I'm trying to make is this. When they got through the Red Sea, they're over on the other side. The Egyptians had drowned. Miriam starts singing a song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Remember that song? <laughs> and, uh, and they're all cheering and dancing and celebrating. But the next day, the next day, everything changed. I said, Moses, we're thirsty. And they came to a, a, a place of water, and they thought, oh, finally, there's some water here. But the place was called Meribah, and it means bitter waters. Now, they, it didn't look like it because it looked like regular water. They went up and tested it, and the waters were bitter. And they're like, you talk about disappointment. And so, but God is proving them as they go each step, okay? Are, are they going to trust me? Is Israel going to trust me, right? So God already did the hard part. He drowned the enemies in the Red Sea. That's boom. So why would he take them out there to kill them after that, right? That's not even logical, right? And so uh, the Lord, they started to complain bitterly against Moses. And Moses asked the Lord, said, Lord, how can I handle this? And the Lord said, the Lord showed him a tree. And he says, cast the tree into the midst of the waters, and the bitter waters were made sweet. Remember that? Yes. The bitter waters were made sweet. And that, that tree is a type of the cross that took our bitterness and our sin and made it sweet. Amen. Okay? And so they're happy now. They're drinking, all right? Then the next couple of days, they're traveling, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai, okay? That's the mountain of God. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. And all of a sudden, they're, uh, they get thirsty again. I guess in the desert, you get thirsty constantly, right? And they begin to cry out to the Lord again. They begin to cry out to the Lord again. They begin to complain and murmur to the Lord. Have you brought us out here to kill us? We're thirsty. Our herds and our flocks and everything, right? Now, go to a scripture here. I want to show you something here in Isaiah chapter... 48. You'll see us, you know, we're not going to have time to go through all that, but there's a string of miracles that God did to provide for the Israelites in the wilderness. I mean, supernatural provision for them. Supernatural. No mistake about it. But I want you to see here in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse, let's see where we pick up here. Verse 21. Isaiah 48 verse 21. And it says, that, it says, And they thirsted not when he had led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. And he clave the rock also. Another, another word for clave means he split the rock also. And the waters gushed out. 
over in where the real Mount Sinai is, they only get not even a quarter of an inch of rain every year still to this day. It's a very arid, dry place. Very desert. Okay? Very barren. All right? And the Lord instructed them. The Lord instructed, because they were thirsty, and the Lord instructed Moses to take his stick, which he, you know, that's the, the rod that, that God used in the judgments on Egypt, you know, and then the splitting the Red Sea and so forth, and all the miraculous, okay? Now, when they were thirsty again in the wilderness, they came to a rock, and God instructed Moses to go stand upon this rock. And we're going to see this. You can get ready for it, Josh. We're going to see this, this rock. It's still there to this day exactly like it was almost 3,500 years ago. Okay? To the T. There's only one rock like it. Okay? And here's a, here's a friend of mine, actually, that's been over there. Has lice, he has the permits and so forth to get in there. And he has drones and things like that that can <coughs> fly up over these, these sites. And I want you to see, this is the split rock of Horeb where Moses hit it. Water's gushed out. Okay? Let's go ahead and play that and just, you'll see what I'm talking about. That's in Saudi Arabia. Thank you. Now, you, do you see how distinct that rock is? There's no other rock like it. It's split right down the middle. And watch the drone will go right over the top of it. How high is it? 60 feet high. Wow. It's not some little dinky rock here. Okay? Now, you'll see evidence of massive amounts of water erosion that came down there. Okay? And there's no way that that's, there's no water over there like that. But it shows mass, and this is where they fought Amalek too, and defeated Amalek. And there's an altar that Moses built right beneath there, okay, where, where remember they held up. It's still there. That's that was only uh, that was last year, okay. And uh, I thought you might appreciate that. You know what I mean? And uh, and and just over the way from that is also the real Mount. Uh, Mount Sinai, too, just within walking distance of this. Mount Sinai, where God came down, and I'll, I'll have time to show that in future services, but God came down in a flame of fire on top of that mount, and the whole mountain shook. Remember that? And God spoke. And it's the only mountain peak in the entire world that has a burnt peak. It's blackened, like a bluish black color. And it's not volcanic. Okay? God's presence would come down on that. And the golden calf altar is still there. The rocks and the stone and the, the, pirate, the, the, uh, the hieroglyphics and stuff of the cattle and stuff. That's where they worship the golden calf. And all this stuff is there. All right? Now, why am I saying all this? Why, why are we veering off on this today? Because if you go over to Hebrews um, Hebrews chapter, uh, let's see here. Let's go to Psalm first, Psalm 95. We've got to wrap this up here. Well, the amazing, the amazing thing about that territory over there, it's virtually untouched. The Saudi government has kept that concealed and secret. 
But eventually it's going to open up for the general public to see that. But the Lord has kept that. He's kept that. And that's the real Mount Sinai. Even Paul the Apostle said in the book of Galatians that Sinai is in Arabia. He said that in the book of Galatians. And that's where Paul went down there to receive revelation from the Lord in Sinai, right? But all these, all these things, all these natural things, Noah's Ark has been found, the real Noah's Ark. It's, I'll have, in the future, I'll show you what's going on there. I've got some friends of mine, actually, that are over there right now doing excavations on the real Noah's Ark on, uh, on uh, uh, um, the mountains of Ararat. There's a book, the Bible says that the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat, all right? I believe that God has preserved these things for the last days. Amen. For evidence to come forth and shine to show people the Bible is true. People think these are just fairy tales and all this kind of stuff. It is they, they, I'm saying all that to say we can trust the integrity of the Word of God. Right? Amen. It's all... What God said is true. And there's, there's evidence to, to prove that out. Okay, But we see in Psalm 95, look at verse 8. It says, Harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my work, 40 years long I was grieved with that generation and said, uh, It is a people that do err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Okay? Now, God was expecting the Israelites to have some type of faith, because that's what He's looking for, that when they would see the hand of God like this, the miraculous power of God and the provision of God, they would say, you would think you would never doubt again. You would really think that, wouldn't you? Now, let me give you an example here. Everybody know John the Baptist, right? Amen? John the Baptist believed in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) He says, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So a true Baptist will believe in the Holy Ghost and fire, right? That's just a joke, right? All right. And so uh, um, Jesus was baptized on a particular day in the Jordan River. And John, of course, was the one that God used to baptize Jesus. John didn't want to do it. He didn't feel worthy to do it. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoe, basically. you know. And, he, and Jesus said, it must be fulfilled. All right. So John the Baptist lowers Jesus down into the water. And there came a voice from heaven, God's voice. It said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Bible says, John saw the Spirit lighting upon him like a dove. Now, the Holy Ghost is not a dove. He's not a bird, but it landed on him like a bird would land, okay? So, we have here in this one incident here, we have, you have Jesus, Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You have Jesus. Number two, you have the Holy Spirit. And number three, you hear God's voice. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All show up at one setting. (laughs) Whoa. Now let's talk about how human nature works because you would think that if you were there and you were at that, we use the word charter core class, you know, if you were there at the beginning when it all started, you'd be like, I was there, I saw it with my own eyes, I heard the voice, I saw Jesus, I saw the Holy Spirit, I'll never doubt again. But the next day or two, some people came, some evil people came and arrested John threw him in prison. Now John witnessed all this, right? He was there. 
They threw him in prison. They persecuted him. And <clears throat> then he sent some of his disciples back to Jesus. He said, are you the Christ or do we look for another? Remember that? And you're like, wait a second. You were just there the day before. You were there in the, at the baptism in the River Jordan. You saw the Son, heard the Father's voice, and you saw the Holy Spirit. Why would I ever doubt again? Now, here's, the, here's what we have to understand. Is that pressure, when applied to us as human beings, is meant to get us to doubt God's Word. Okay? You know, a boat can be, I heard this one illustration, a boat can be surrounded by water and it's no problem at all. But it's when the water gets in the boat that it becomes dangerous. You can be surrounded by all kind of stuff. Bad stuff, evil stuff, bad news and so forth and things coming against you. You can be surrounded by that, but it doesn't have to get in you and that it'll make you sink. Do you understand what that, that means by that? And so... The Lord was trying to prove Israel in the wilderness and say, I want them to start to trust me. But they never learned. There was only, stop and think about this. There was only two people and those 20 years and under underneath them that actually went into the promised land. It's, 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 it's pitiful when you stop to think about it. Joshua and Caleb were the only two people and those underneath them that went into the promised land 20 years and under. And the rest of them perished in the wilderness. But you know what? They all saw the same miracles. They saw the deliverance. They saw this. They saw that. Now, why were Caleb and Joshua any different? Why? They chose. They had pressure, but they chose to believe if God did that, then he'll do this. And that's important, that, folks. It's important that we build off what God did for us. We have to remember the things that God did for us. Remember when your back was up against the wall. And remember when... You prayed and it was a pressure cooker, you know. But, you know, you prayed and somehow God saw you through it. Amen. Okay? Yes. You've all, all of us have been there. But sometimes we have a tendency to forget those things that God did for us. But we need to stir ourselves up by way of remembrance and remind ourselves, hey, wait a minute. I remember what God did last year. I remember what He did five years ago. I remember when I was in the hospital or this or that. I remember when I was in a car accident, but God saved my life and spared me and so forth. And always remember those things that God did, lest we forget. And Israel didn't do that. They didn't do that. And that's why he said their heart was not, they were so short-sighted. They forgot what God did. And then God would ran down, you know, manna from heaven for 40 years, food coming out of heaven, quail, because they got tired of the manna. You know? Now, here's where we're going to close here. Go to. Uh, we've got to get this in here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. So, we've got to look at the integrity of God's word, but we also, number two, here's what we wanted to leave you with today is you, we have to remember the things that God has done for us. To have a, a strong faith and a strong confidence. Because some of you here, if not all of you here, you're facing certain things in your life. That's not a word of knowledge. It's just the way it is. You're facing certain things, pressure from the outside coming against you, right? Doubts are coming against you about maybe your family, doubts about your physical condition, doubts about your future, any number of things, okay? 
And that, that's just par for the course. That's just how the enemy operates, okay? But I'll tell you what, you can slap him in the face with the word of God and by way of remembrance and forget not those things that God has done. Forget not all his benefits. Forget not what he did for you. Amen. Remember the last time God healed you. Remember the last time God touched you. And remind yourself and stir up yourself by way of remembrance of those things that he did for you. Okay, now in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7, and this is talking about Israel. This is the New Testament. Paul says here, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works, forty years, notice that, Wherefore, God says, I was grieved with that generation, said they do always err in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath that they shall not enter into my rest. Verse 12 says, notice this, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you of an evil heart of what? Ooh. Now, what most people say, they think about an evil heart, they think adultery, fornication. You know what I'm saying? But God says right here, I'm not saying that's good. You understand what I'm saying? But God says, an evil heart of what? Unbelief. In departing from the living God. But exhort, verse 13, but exhort one another day, the while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Okay? Now, um, chapter 4, verse 1. Go that right there, there, Hebrews. So it talked about, you know, we didn't finish it, but he said it was their carcasses perished in the wilderness because of unbelief. They refused to believe. They chose not to believe. After all those things that God did. Okay? All right, Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear or have respect, lest the promise being left us of entering into rest, lest any of us should seem to come short of it. Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, the Israelites, but the word that was preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now notice he says the good news was preached to the Israelites as well as to us. The good news to them was there's a promised land, it's yours, go up and take it. <laughs> We're not gonna, you see, God didn't just destine to them to stay in the wilderness and to camp there for the rest of their lives. That was a transitional point, Okay? And that's where they received the law and the commandments and everything. But God then wanted to take them into the promised land. But the only two people that believed it, and we'll get into that in the future, were, were Joshua and Caleb. They're the only two. And they, they were so persecuted by the own Israelites, they wanted to stone them for believing God. Think about that. Their own, their own family, their own people said, thought they were too radical. You ever feel like that before? He said, the word that was preached to them, verse 2, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. We'll stop there today because of time. But I want you to know that every time, every time we hear the gospel, what's gospel? It's the good news, right? It's the word of God. Gospel is the word of God. It's good news. It's not bad news. Good news to a, a sick person is you don't have to be sick anymore. It came, Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. What's good news to a poor man? You don't have to stay broke anymore. What's good news to a sick man? You don't have to stay sick anymore. Amen. Because of God's great love for us. Amen. And so 
all of us just have a choice. We all do. Are we going to believe what the Bible says when we read Scripture? I'm, I'm preaching this to myself too, okay? I don't want you to think I'm like pointing the finger here today, okay? I, believe me, I'm, I have to look in myself and say, when I read the Word, do I, do I believe what I'm reading right now? I'm, I make a conscientious choice. I believe that. If I believe what I'm reading in this book right here, then I'm going to have joy, unspeakable and full of glory before I ever see anything. Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. How many of you here believe in Jesus? Amen. Anybody here believe in Jesus? Yes. How many of you ever seen him in the flesh yet? I don't see any hands. You're blessed. You believe in him, although your physical eyes have not seen him yet. Because there's a conviction in your heart that says, Something's real about this. I believe this. And they couldn't beat it out of you with a baseball bat. Thank God. Why? Because you have the inward witness. We know that we're a child of God by the inward. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We have the spirit bearing witness that our, with our spirits that we're a child of God. How many of you know that, that, that spirit in you bearing witness when you got saved? I know I'm a child of God. I know that in my heart is right with God. That's supernatural. So I just wanted to leave you with this today because it, it, I think that the Lord wants to stir us up. He wants to stir up our thinking in this area because sometimes we don't even realize we've let doubt slither into our thinking. It's, it's not all at once. It's not like a, you know, a truckload coming at you like wham. You know what I mean? It's sometimes just little things, little disappointments. This didn't happen. That didn't happen yet. This didn't happen yet. And you sort of kind of like, it's real, you don't even know you're doing it sometimes. But you kind of slip back, slip back. Before you know it, you're not coming to church. Not as often. They don't really need me. They don't really miss me when I'm not there. God's in my house too. I know he's there. Okay, and so the enemy, that's how he does. He puts pressure on us to sort to get us to back off, okay? But it, it all comes down to one thing. He's a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44, Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And what he says is, the, is, is false. It's not true. But what God says is the truth. Amen. And so God will have us to be established in the truth of God's word. Amen. Get ready for some more joy today. Amen. Be baptized with the joy of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God doesn't want us to look like we've been baptized in a, a big pool of lemon juice. All right? He wants us to be happy because, I mean, Christian folks, we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. I'm telling you. Because if we believe what God says, we can get happy before we even see anything happen yet. <laughs> Glory to God. Oh, we praise you today. Let's thank Him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we thank you today, Father. Thank you today, Father. Worthy is the Lord. Worthy of praise. Worthy of honor. Worthy of glory. We praise you today, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Brother, Brother Dan, you got a word from the Lord. Amen. Will you be wise or will you be a fool, saith the Lord? For things have been spoken in line with my word. For you see, there's been a picture painted, a picture upon your heart of the things that pleases me. A picture that gives you more clearance, a picture that gives you more clarity to walk this walk that I demand of you. For you see, it pleases me yes. when you walk that walk. Yes. And I've declared that I will reward you. Many won't take that first step. Yes, they hear the message, but they will not take that message within their heart and put constant uh, remembrance to what I've declared. Yes, yes. So begin to walk in a greater light. Don't yes. be hesitant, saith the Lord. Act upon my word. I am true. These are the things that brings pleasure to me. For I see my children walking in the light of my word. For you see, it is my purpose to have Christ formed in you. And one of the greatest ways that my son is formed in you is you taking that step. Yes. Even as he took the step of the obedience to the death of the cross. Yes. yes. So be diligent. Continually hear my word. And act quickly upon it, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. We receive that. We receive that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Remember that phrase that kept, we didn't read all of it, but it kept saying this, I think it was three, to, three times in Hebrews. It says, this phrase kept being repeated. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, as in the wilderness, you know, when they saw what God did and they kept hardening their hearts, hardening their hearts. But we're not going to do that, are we? We're going to, we hear God's voice. We're like, yep, I believe that. Praise God. Praise God.